Oh God, it burns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Oh, oh God, God, it burns. burns. My name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And today is going to be a very special episode. We run down the absolute worst of 2019. And also, me and Bruno just got back from a very magical bro date. Uh, what do we see, Bruno? <laughs> the wonderful world of cats. We saw cats. <laughs> so, uh, we before we started uh, recording this one, I was like, you know what? Like, I kind of came to an idea it was just like i didn't read a lot of stuff that was really terribly bad this year in fact it's, it's kind of a weird thing where if i read something that's bad and it's a new comic i kind of just drop it and go back and pick it up when it's in the quarter bin yep. or for like a dollar because i don't want to be spending like full price tag for those things but there were a couple of them that really did stick with it so i'm like i don't really have that big of a list but it is a significant list the significance cannot be ignored to it so bruno let's go on a date Let's go see what is widely considered to be one of the worst spectacles of 2019. Let's go see Cats. That's right. Our bad taste doesn't just extend to comic books. We punish ourselves with movies as well. Yeah. What would you think of it, Bruno? It was every person's nightmare and every furry lover's dream. (laughs) It was awful. I stand by the fact that 90% of the movies spent... At first, I thought Calico. Then they said Jellico, but... And Bruno and I were just like, it's, what the, what's a Jellico? That must be the name of the hotel that Deuteronomy's staying in or something. And, and the weirdest part is, as the songs went more and more, I kept hearing the word genital, which is <laughs> awful because they're all cats that have none. So they're just in birthday suits throughout most of the movie, except for the ones that have, for no reason at all, wear like boots and jackets, which is never explained why. Uh-huh. And then Rebel Wilson, them. who can shed her naked fur for fur that has showgirl fur. Apparently, wherever her owner is, it works in taxidermy, and she just gets the extras. Yeah. So, going into Cats, I only knew two things, right? First of all, the human community said, this movie is too horny for its own good. Yes. The furry community said, this movie is not horny enough. That's true. And for me, my big thing is, like, humans, it's too horny. Furries, not horny enough. I, there was one thing that could have brought all of these communities together because we all have them and that it was prominent thing as far as cats go and something we all know about cats. And I tell you, Bruno, I did not see one butthole in this entire movie. You tell me there are this many damn cats running around, I don't see one goddamn butthole. Oh, dear God. This movie, worst of 2019. <laughs> it makes the cat in the hat with Mike Myers look like Oscar, like, worthy. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, I feel like they took all the mistakes they made doing CGI for Alice in Wonderland, and they said, that we, looks beautiful. We can double down on this. Let's double down on this. And they made it. And I will tell you this. I don't hate the movie. I actually thought that every person in here did 110%. Like, except for Rebel Wilson. I was going to say, except for Except for Rebel, because she was so typecast in this one, you could tell she did not give one lick of a shit. But everyone, from Ian McKellen, Dame Judi Dench, uh, whoever the hell played Mistopheles, I think it was PETA from The Hunger Games, from the look of it. Uh, McCavity, Idris Elba, James Corden... It was so well done, and it's like everyone believed that they were making something amazing, and it just made it so much sweeter that everything was fucked in post. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) But now that we've got that out of the way, it's time for us to choose which one of these horrible, 
horrible comics of 2019 will be the chosen Jellico Cat that we will, just like Grizabella before her, Shoot load into, the into a fucking weather balloon. Spoilers. And shoot her towards the sun? <laughs> because reincarnation cannot happen without some blood being spilled. I'd say spoilers again, but regardless, who's actually going to watch Cats? You're welcome. No, you. <laughs> I, I highly recommend. Go out and watch Cats. You should see it before it leaves theaters because it is like something that needs to be seen. Like I, This whole podcast is dedicated to like there are some things that are so bad that you need to experience it. And this is 100% one of those things. And we're probably going to be tying a couple more things into it as we go through it. But now we've got our dancing uh, titles to go through. They're doing their song and dance. we got to figure out which one will be the magical one. I would one. like to add one addendum. Do not make that a date movie unless you want to wind up Home Alone. <laughs> we'll put that out there. It is a movie that you should see in theaters. It is not a movie you should take what, a date after to. your date realizes that you're getting horny for a cat? If you took a date to see that movie, like, this is what you're into, goodbye. She's very quickly going to be like, I'm going to go get a snack and never come back. My wife, rightfully so, was just like, I'm not seeing that movie. And I was like, okay, I'll just make it a me and Bruno thing. And he was like, you're going to see it with Bruno? Yeah, we might hold hands. And Bruno gave me some of his candy. I consider him a lifelong hetero partner now. (laughs) Jay and Silent Bomb style. (laughs) My hetero life mate, Nick. So now... The Bernie Ball <laughs> is upon us. The Burning Burning Man Festival, <laughs> if you will. And we do have a couple standout titles that jumped out from this one. And Bruno and I, as Deuteronomy before us, will judge them and figure out which one will die the most glorious of deaths. So, Bruno, you want to go ahead and start off? What was uh, your top? I mean, just go ahead. No particular order. What, what did you have as your worst of 2019? All right. So- and we'll probably do something where you tell one. I'll tell one, then we go back and forth. Alternate. All right. Well, first one I'm going to start off with, um, because they did such a disservice to the character, uh, that would be Mr. Rick Grayson. Ooh. Okay. So the storyline goes, um, because this year has all been about just basically destroying Batman's support structure, more so than they did in Death in the Family, which is now considered one of the ones like a big storyline for no like, actually death of the family that's right death of the family death, death in the in family, family was is... when jason todd got his fucking face broken by the uh, crowbar yes death of the family which is when they had basically jokers like yeah you've been surrounding yourself with way too many people yeah. we're gonna just kind of cut it down you need to just be batman so um in typical fashion with uh rick grayson what had happened was uh, KG Beast uh, went ahead and took a shot and it clipped Nightwing and of course at this point we, everyone thought he was dead but per comic book logic he survives he just has a massive like head wound and he's got like the little like you could see where the bullet hit he's got that like shaved part where they had to like do emergency surgery to save yeah. his life and he comes out of it with amnesia which is the, the thing he's got brain damage and he can't remember who his past is like they people have been filling him in but he had no longer has any emotional tether to any of these people so he feels nothing for bruce nothing for the heroes none of the people that come out of the woodwork to try to remind him who he is mean anything to him so he goes off and he decides i'm not doing this nightwing thing because why like what sane person hops around in a suit and tries to save people like Look, I got a bullet in my head. That's all I know. That's real. Everything else just seems ridiculous. So he moves, you know, away and he restarts his life. And there's this whole running thing where these cops 
find one of his secret stashes in Bloodhaven, and there's a bunch of old Robin suits in there, or obviously, oh, me, old Nightwing suits in there. So they put on the different variations of Night uh, of Nightwing suits, and they decide to step up where Law failed, and they are awful at it essentially. And while this is running around, Rick Grayson is slowly getting drawn back into the lifestyle. He has encounters with all of these cops because. He has this memory, he knows where these things are, but again, there's no emotional tether to it. And the big, the, the where this eventually leads to is tying into Year as a Villain, where he just winds up becoming a talent. Like, he is recruited by his grandfather, William Cobb, who is the talent that works for the Court of Owls, and he's like, well, now that you don't have any emotional tethers, you're finally going to be fit to be the person you were meant to be, which is what this... Like, in the last two years, that's been the running theme, is that uh, Dick Grayson wasn't chosen by accident to be Batman's ward. He was actually set up by the Court of Owls because he's got the bloodline of the Talons running through him. And now it's, like, the completion of it. But the worst part is, like, everything that you loved about Nightwing and Dick Grayson was removed from the character. And rather than show someone that's broken, he's just a jerk most yeah. of the time. And it's, like he sees these cops trying to do good and he's like i'm not gonna help them until literally they're at death's door and he's like well i guess since i have the ability to i should help them but he, like every time he does something heroic and stuff it's all like wow this is all second nature to me but i don't care i don't want to do this anymore this is not who i am and it's not even like a struggle with his like like part of him wants to do it and part of it it's just literally like oh, i have these cool abilities i can do all this but yeah, I don't want to do it anymore, and it really just breaks the character and lends for, like, less, like, the arcs, the storyline, all that made it interesting were the villains that kept making cameos that came in, because there was nothing going on with the main character that would draw you in, because he's basically just spending the entire time denying his past, and then these cops are, like, literally incompetent, um, a couple of them are kind of trying to do good, and then they keep trying to arrest Rick Grayson because he has some connection, because they haven't figured out that obviously he's Nightwing so it's just a lot of like really poor plotting really like badly fleshed out story and then the payoff of him becoming a Talon at this point you're like at least they're doing with something with him thank god but that's not really what you want to have in a character storyline so definitely the introduction of Rick Grayson yeah could you uh, refresh my memory who was the art team uh, the creative team on uh, let me see for the creative team for... Because I'm really curious. Because I, I honestly didn't read the uh, the Rick Grayson stuff. I was kind of waiting until it wrapped up. And then I knew for a fact, as soon as I saw it happen over in Batman, I was like, this is going to be a future Oh God It Burns. So I need to make sure that I get the whole story as one go. And I didn't follow up on it. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> well, it looks like it started with the Nightwing Annual, which was Dan Jurgens, Travis Moore. Um, and let's see here. And Nick Filardi. We're on there. Let's see. So this is Dan Jurgens wrote, yeah, this entire run. I believe that he, he carried most of it. He start he definitely started it. I know that they've had a couple of people come in in and out, but mostly this has been his storyline. And yeah, just... I know Dan Jurgens has some, done some really good stuff. I know a lot of people remember him well from like '90s uh, DC, and he had like a pretty decent run on Thor back in like the dark yes, ages of Marvel I, I which is actually the, really good I remember that was the one we introduced the uh, James was, was it James Olsen or something it was the the paramedic when when Thor swapped places with the EMT I always uh, thought that was just the same 
No, because the original one, it was like... It was like Jake Olson or something like that. Yeah, right? it was. It, that's what it was, Jake Olson. Jake Olson just got a new job, right? Or was yeah. it a different person? No, no, he, like, the, the thing is, like, Jake Olson was dying, and to save his life, Thor merged his spirit with him. Because mm-hmm. pre- prior to that, Donald Blake and Thor were the same person. So they kind of did this thing with, like, what they did with Rick Jones and um, Captain Marvel, oh, okay. where it's like, he brought him to life, so Thor would, like, essentially have to live the life of Jake Olson. Yeah. But, like, it was Jake Olsen's life. Thor was just kind of in the passenger seat. And See, then, here's something that kind of threw me off. I forgot that Donald Blake was a thing. I thought that <laughs> Jake Olsen was, like, the main guy. No, no. But now, living in 2019, we know that Thor is not tied to any man. Like, no. he's just an entity, which is the way he should have been. Like, there's well, something magical about that time in Marvel where they just decided, like, okay, Iron Man, you're out in the open. Captain America, you don't need a secret identity. Thor, there's no way you're going to be tied to a human. You are a god. And then, like, anything before that just kind of seems antiquated to me. But, yeah, it's weird that you'd bring on Dan Jurgens to do something like this, especially something that's just like, oh, cool. We're bringing back one of the big writers from the 90s, the guy who basically killed Superman and gave him a cool mullet to uh, do Rick Grayson. But, yeah, but jumping off of that one, I've got another one I could submit to, the Bernie Ball. Go for it. This one, uh, piggybacking off of the Rick Grayson storyline... I feel like this entire year of Batman has been the biggest wash ever. So even that storyline where Rick Grayson was created with KG Beast, um, with Tony Daniel on the art, like I think that was the first misstep where I was just like, huh? Because up until then, like I loved Tom King's run. It was like one of my favorite Batman runs. Tom King. But he had such a a distinct voice and style to him that I was just like, this is always just like a little off from just not working completely. Like, if you go back to his War of Jokes and Riddles, it's told in a way that is unlike any other Batman story. Yeah, and every two issues, it kind of jumps to an interlude, and then it gets back to it, and it's very poetic, and he's kind of going for it, and it's very, like, almost... God, I can't remember the word for it, but it's like, almost like all of this stuff is just happening, and it's, like, almost randomized and stuff. I, I wish I could... Ethereal might be... Uh, a word ethereal yeah. that I bring up for it which is a stark contrast to when he started off because when he first started off with David Finch it was very much a straight up action and then it kind of started getting more experimental come War Jokes and Riddles and then that whole run straight through it kind of like showed a bunch of like romance stuff between him and Catwoman leading up to the 50th issue where they got married or were supposed to get married and she ran off and left them at the altar then he had a really really badass one of my favorite stories was the Mr. Freeze story where Bruce Wayne was on the jury and I was just like, man, this is going to get really good because Bruce Wayne has, like, nothing left to lose. He's totally unhinged. He's, like, he's broken right now. Like, Bane, good job, man. You broke the bat. And then we see the KGB storyline, and then we watch Batman see Rick Grayson, uh, Dick Grayson, get shot in the head, and he has, like, no emotional reaction to it except for, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. And then there's no follow-up on that in the main title where he got set. And then it goes into this Penguin storyline with art by Michael J- Mikhail Janin, I think is a, that's how you say it. And it's just like most of it is just Penguin reciting a poem, which would become basically what, like, the whole story uh, style that Tom King would uh, adopt throughout not only the rest of his Batman run, but even into Heroes in Crisis. So it's like Nightmare becomes, like, the whole thing is framed around, like, this Russian fairy tale. And when we're talking about Nightmare, it's just a series of one-shots after, like, I think his dad, Thomas Wayne, puts him under into, like, 
a bunch of like chemicals and stuff like that so he's just like in a nightmare state the whole time Mm -hmm. and he's just reliving each one of these is just a one shot but it's a one shot that goes on for like eight issues every single issue we get a different thing and it does have some really sweet stuff in it we do see some cool artwork come through it but there's no real plot thread that even carries it through it and it just kind of keeps running straight into Bane as well uh, which we'll kind of talk about later, but Nightmare definitely was the thing that kind of like set everything in motion where you're like, you know what? I don't think this run is going to stick the landing. I don't think the stuff that we saw with Rick Grayson was an anomaly. I think this is the new Tom King because at the same time, that's when Heroes in Crisis was coming out. And we started seeing a different version of Tom King than we've been seeing in a very long time. One that's always been there, but one that never really took these like these missteps before so batman nightmare is my first one up for consideration of the war stories of 2019 i agree just because the um right when he came back when they introduced him right before they did dark knight's metal which was awesome um they had this whole thing where they were building batman back up i mean literally the to the point where he had forgot he erased his memory and then he created this machine using what eventually led to the Dark Knight's Metal to re-put the trauma back in him to become Batman and building all of his, like, support structure and then kind of doing what, like, no one had attempted to do, which was introduce happiness to Batman. Like, honestly, one of the sto- longest storylines is that Batman always has to suffer alone. So the idea that he was with Catwoman and this long-running thing of, like, well, they're finally going to get married and it's going to lead to like a change in status quo for Batman just to be undone at the 11th hour by... And it was weird because they made it seem like uh, Bane was this huge mastermind, but all he did was he took Catwoman's like closest confidant and turned her into a reverse bridesmaid. So instead of saying, like, this is all fine, this is all jitters... She kept whispering crap in her ear that made her think that Batman couldn't continue doing his job if he was to be in love. And then, like... And, like, here's another thing, too. It's, uh... They got too precious with Batman. The idea of Batman. They kept saying, like, I broke the bat. I'm gonna break the bat. Yeah. And it's, like, something that got repeated over and over again. And it's like, he oh, had... Batman can't be happy. Is something, another thing that went through it. I'm like, you're being so ham-fisted with everything. But uh, it's funny. It's because, literally, in the past couple storylines that's all that's been happening yeah is batman had been broken the dark knight's metal storyline was basically showing that batman's own obsession was the key every time he thought he figured something out he was wrong because they counted it on his obsession yeah like oh i found this rare metal i i I traded this this sword for this book this is all everything's gonna help and it turns out that it was all trap laid by them and he'd literally been exposing himself to all the metals that they wanted him to and the whole thing was lately batman has not been happy everything bad that could have happened to batman had happened to him including like literally death rebirth and then still struggling and so they finally kind of gave him a bit of a happy ending and then just pulled the rug from under him but in like the the weirdest way it wasn't like they kidnapped catwoman or something it's like no they basically just turned the wedding jitters into a thing and she's like i left you at the altar with a note that you can never be happy and then they kind of went their separate ways like in a one of those breakups where it's like, well, you're left at the altar. I'll never want to see you again. And this, there was no interaction in the storyline until, like, finally it was like, oh, it turns out that you were working for Bane and you were putting all this crap in my head and he can be happy. Let me go back. And it'd been like, well, yeah. 
It, it's like the thinnest of premises and everything. Uh, and in fact, if anything, it, the one thing that did break the Batman that they didn't really even address was the um, issue with the KG Beast, where he literally left the dude to die. But that that was never picked up. That's the thing that like, like, drove me nuts the most. Like I'm nobody like, acknowledged. He just watched Dick Grayson get shot in the head, and he's still pissed off about Selena. So all he does is beat the shit out of him, and he leaves, and then he's just like still on a pissy tear about Selena and never follows up with Dick Grayson again. And, and the thing is, nobody else is like, you know, the KG Beast has been missing for an awfully long time. Yeah. Like, where is it? Like, hell, even Cry for Justice, they at least try to figure yeah. out what happened with the guy. I remember, like, a, I think it was a Word Balloon interview where Tom King was talking. He was just like, yeah, they said that, like, I'm making Batman suffer too much, like, for too long. Because Tom King went into, like, a, a editorial meeting. He's like, yeah, from these issues to this issue... Batman's going to be broken, and he's going to be suffering. And it was, like, from issue 51 to issue 85. He's going to be broken and suffering. And then Brian Bendis, who had just hired on, was like, hey, man, uh, that seems like a lot. That's a lot to ask your audience to stay with you for that. And he was just like, no, nah, dude, I got this. No, and then month after month, you see the bat sales plummeting, and, like, almost no one is, like, really talking about it except for, oh, my God, did you fucking see what he chose to follow up this one it's nothing satisfying well the worst part is that he then lays out these freaking red herrings which typical comic book tropes but then they lead nowhere so it's like the, the best way i can explain it um and this, there's a couple of spoilers coming but like if you guys ever watched the walking dead and a lot of people jump ship at this point there was the 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 issue with glenn where you thought he was dead because he was surrounded by a bunch of zombies on top of a trash can and there's no way he's walking out of that yeah. and he falls under the thing and he manages to like stave them off and we're like they kept him alive and then they had well, the Negan scene which everyone knew in the comic books was the scene where Glenn died alright so I'm gonna stop you right here I did not watch Walking Dead but I did watch Game of Thrones The Siege of Winterfell and this is literally the same thing so yeah. go on so literally where every, and that's where they stopped it it's like alright we're gonna stop right here after they'd stopped after they had that little hiatus with him, like, almost dying on the trash can. And it was like, who's gonna die? And then when the show came back, the first person that was taken out was Abraham. And everyone was like, oh, it's great, Glenn's dead. Glenn's safe, Glenn's not dead. And then Negan's like, and you, Glenn, bah! <laughs> and we're like, why did you save him that time if you were just gonna <laughs> kill him? It didn't so much a shock, it just... You saw his eyeball pop out, didn't you? It's like, yeah, it, it just cheapened everything. I saw that scene. Because it was in SNL with Dave Chappelle. Yes, but it like cheapened everything because it was like, well, what was the point of making this impossible save just to watch him die unnecessarily later? And it was unnecessarily because he had already killed one dude to get penance, but he's like, no, nah, you didn't learn your lesson. I have to kill this guy because there's a quota. Yeah. So it, it feels like the same thing because here's the, here's the spoiler that I was getting to, um, and they're actually... The only thing I applaud them is they're following through with it. Actually, do you want to just go ahead and talk about City of Bane right now? Oh, it's... Let's jump in and talk about City of Bane yeah, right now. Because well, I, I'm keeping these as two separate ones, okay. but it's the same series. But uh, City of Bane... The, that's where I was headed and for City go, of Bane. Go for it. Just... Well, the biggest thing with City of Bane is there is a scene... There's where... no Bane? No, well, there's no <laughs> there's no Bane except, except for this part. This is the part where Bane... Bane shows up and doesn't break the bat. He breaks the bat's butler. So he breaks the butler because he grabs him and cracks him in half and throws him down. And that, and everyone's like, oh my God, Alfred is freaking dead. Like, well, he did pick up Bruce Wayne and crack his back though. Yeah. But I'm saying like he, he got, he killed, he killed the butler. Um, and 
the, the, everyone is like, oh my god, I can't believe that Alfred's dead. And then as the series progresses, surprise, Clayface, who we all thought was dead, is still alive and working is as... Is magically the Joker? Well, not magically. It's, it turns out that he's actually working for Batman... But undercover. Can you tell me where this happened? Because it I have did, no idea it did, where this happened. Anyway. Like, here's the thing: the last time it was that Clayface was in there, and this was when Batman was still good. He had created this like group of, um, like a cabal of different people uh, for a support structure, and one of them is he reformed um, Clayface. He gave Clayface a drug that allowed him to stay in the form that he wanted longer. Um, and allowed him to, like, it fought back, apparently his powers were making crazier. So it gave him a sense of self because he was able to actually retain his form. And so he would, he was in a redemption arc and he was going ahead and, like, a vital team, I mean, Batman had a shapeshifter. That's a very vital part of Batman's thing because now anytime he needs something, he could just tell, be this person. Mm -hmm. Great. So, um, of course, that falls apart. Um, there, there's a big battle with like in because uh, Batwoman's part of his team, Clayface is injected with something, loses control. Batwoman has no choice, takes him out. Well, it turns out that that was all for show. He, Batman thought uh, Batwoman thought she was dead. Batman knew better. Turns out he's alive, but he does better as like instead of having this dude walking around and being part of my team and everyone knows that I have a shapeshifter, I'm gonna keep him in my pocket. So he's going around being different characters that Batman needs him to be during the city of Bane to basically keep Bane off his off his game. So the he, he's the Joker doing things that the Joker would do, but all the while orchestrating it in a way that would benefit the Batman. But yeah, and also, like, another thing that really kind of felt super unsatisfying satisfying me too is after everything, like, Tom King... Twice this year, he had these big expository, I'm going to tell you all of my plans. Heroes in Crisis, which we'll get to, he had one issue where he did nothing but explain everything, and he had one issue where he did nothing but explain everything in Batman, and it did nothing but just complicate things and make no sense, and you're like, this is... This is not, like, you were the master, not, like, subtlety was your thing up until now. And now you're just, like, beating us over the head with how well, brilliant the, the you are. Well, the worst of it was... But the thing was, it's like, Batman supposedly just played along with the whole thing. Let Gotham go under and get, like, turned completely into, like, uh, this hellscape where Commissioner Gordon was replaced with Hugo <laughs> Strange. Two-Face and Joker were out in the street just, like, rounding people up and killing them. Mr. Pig was being a fucking sadist out there everyone's dying and all the time Batman knows this like, he this lets himself of... get his back broken and shipped off and he like puts his son in danger to go everything and he I don't even know how this makes sense but no one believed Bruce before like they actually like every member of the Bat family was just like you're insane because everything he would see they would not see but it was because we found out Psycho Pirate was kind of like running them yeah. but they were still working for Bruce Wayne so there's, like, so much of these plot twists that, like, never really get it, fully resolved or it's satisfied. It's too many plot twists that throw in, and it's just, like, they, they tried to, like, Ocean's Eleven, the comic book. and I think I'm thinking more Days of Our Lives. Oh, Jesus. Where they're, they're straight soap opera, like, aha, but you didn't think this was going to happen. Well, but, I, no, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I planned for something like this. The, the reason I say Ocean's Eleven is if you've seen the season four Rick and Morty, there's the heist episode, and they basically lay like make fun of the entire trope of like the Ocean's Eleven where it's like you thought this was all going wrong but that was part of my plan 
And it's like, but that was part of my plan. No, 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 that was part of my yeah. plan. So, like, that's literally this back and forth where Batman's allowing all this crazy stuff to happen. It turns out that the mastermind, even though it's called the City of Bane, isn't actually Bane, but his henchman, who's been playing him the whole time, Alfred, who we thought was dead, but then Batman said, nah, he's safe, and then you find out that there's a Clayface involved that was imitating people, but no, it was really Alfred, Alfred's dead, Batman needs a new butler, that's what this whole story leads to, is Batman needs a new butler. Yeah. That's what they should have called it, not the city of Bane, Batman needs a new butler. And I will tell you this, like, it wasn't only, like, the 10 or 11 issue series, but there was a whole set leading up to this, where Bane was almost (laughs) never in it, like, Bane was a looming threat, but we never, we saw Bane twice throughout this whole thing if you really- the one with a really really good art by uh, Jorge Fornes which is just like a damn good knockdown, drag out fight and then Bane lifts him up and breaks his back and it's just like okay so we've seen that before and then Batman gets shipped to a beach yeah. where he's with Catwoman having sex and like rowing boats and setting up the next siege of like his wiggling his way back into Gotham City which like was a really really good story that had no point no business being right in the middle of this giant storyline like it seemed like every time he would set up a good thing and he had a good cliffhanger which he had great cliffhangers the next issue completely deviated from that it bucked your expectations in the worst way and it never followed up with any of the stuff and then one of the biggest sins I feel is that all the action happened as like a flashback where there's a narration going over so there's never any stakes at play there you're just trying to wonder like Okay, so Batman's narrating this right now. Yep. And we're seeing this as a flashback. The only thing that we have to think about is just like, what state is Batman narrating this from? And we have to do that over and over and over and over again, even up until the very last issue where it just like kind of goes back and forth between like three different things, like three different timelines basically, as they wrap up the whole thing into a conclusion that is like not satisfying whatsoever, except that, hey, Batman and Catwoman are now, I guess, technically married. I mean, and all, the irony of it is, if you really wanted to read good Batman this year, you should just read the Batman Who Laughs and then Superman and Batman. That plot line, that storyline was great mm-hmm. because it was basically Batman against a true foil. Like, if you thought the Joker was bad, what if there's a a Joker infused Batman running around and yeah. then introducing the Grim Knight? Like every one of those storyline, and then now the infected, like, and that's all building towards something big with uh and i'll give him credit because it's tying into the year of the villain so you've got two villains with two plans and each one has the key to stopping the other one Mm -hmm. or i'll even say this year of the villain mark russell's uh riddler issue that was really good did you read the joker one i didn't read the joker the joker one was great the joker one by john carpenter yes I didn't read that one. It was sold out by the time I... uh, I will tell you this. Even if you get digital copy, it's great because essentially what happens is the Joker's always known for insanity. So the whole world around him is going insane. So he decides, well, the most insane thing I can do is be a superhero. (laughs) And so he takes his take on being Batman. And it is just as messed up as you'd expect it to be. So the Year of the Villain specials were actually one of the best things about DC. It's just a shame that... Year of the Villain was nothing? Year of the Villain did accomplish, like, nothing. All the Year of the Villain did is... Lead. It was a good series of one-shots. It, 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 well, it, it it's leading to the this big battle that they've been dragging on, but in a good way, which is the Legion of Doom, led by the new Lex. Ver- Apex Lex. Apex Lex versus bleh, the Dark Multiverse. So it's literally Lex versus 
the Batman who laughs, which who doesn't want to see that come down to play? I don't. I do. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I really... I tuned out so hard on it. I can't wait to go back and make a best, like, a, a worst <laughs> episode where we, we actually have, like, a main storyline, not only Rick Grayson, but, like, a couple of the other stuff we got going on in here. But I almost feel like this whole Justice League run, even though, like, I keep jumping into it, I'm like, keep wanting to like it. And it's just like, I don't think this is going to be satisfying at all. But I, I'm not taking anything away from you. No, I mean, I, we'll see how the playoff, uh, the, the payoff goes in the end. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely leading to some kind of crisis. Uh, I will say um, Doomsday Clock, which was loosely tied to this, definitely let out a good um, teaser at the end. Something to look forward to, at least according to them by 2030. Yeah, but Jeff, is Jeff Johns even part of DC anymore? Because it seems like they just kind of shuttered him off into the black label so he could do whatever the hell he wants to do. But he didn't. <laughs> that that That's actually one of my things on this list, and it's not the worst comic ever, but the worst, like, drawn out... The Three Jokers? The Three Jokers. <laughs> where, the, where is that, Jeff? Jeff, where is that? Freaking! Apparently, Jason Fabak is having the time of his life drawing it. It's just that never, it's I'll not never happening. Light of day. I think the three jokes is going to take three years for him to do. And one you know what? They also said like, you know what? It's going to be in continuity. It might not be in continuity. Kind of like the Killing Joke, where like the fans decided. I want you guys to decide if this is going to be in continuity. It's just like that's not the point of the three jokers. You firmly established this in continuity. You have to like. Ugh. But, yeah, so, honestly, well, they're slowly replacing the Joker with the Batman who laughs. He's becoming Batman's newest foil. And, honestly, the storylines that they've done with him have done him justice. I think that they're, the Justice League, they're building a lot, and it is riding on Grant Morrison's tails. It's one of those things where they either have to stick the landing or it's going to be a massive flop. Yeah. And I, so I really f- hope they stick the landing on this. So far, it's heading really good because... They went from putting all the players on the field and explaining who they are, albeit in a very slow fashion, to now there's a battle between these people that are trying to destroy the multiverse and these people that are trying to stabilize the dark multiverse. And no matter what, like our heroes are in the middle trying to stop both sides. That's what it's leading to. But right now we're at the point where these two forces are going to be fighting at each other. And it's just a matter of time until there's a big crisis where all parties are involved. I can't wait for another crisis. I tell you what. Well, technically speaking, I will be honest with you, they dropped, spoiler, dropped a hint in Doomsday Clock about They actually this. dropped a hint in Batman City of Bane yeah. when Psycho Pirate was there. It was like, there was like a big crisis reveal in that that, again, never was followed up on. Well, it. They, they dropped out on Doomsday Clock, 2030 is the time of Secret Crisis, where Superman, Thor, and the Hulk are firmly mentioned um, in in this supposed crisis, so a lot of people are expecting that Sup- Thor and the Hulk. Yeah, it's secret crisis, secret wars from Marvel, crisis from DC. Dooms- Damn, Doomsday Clock. That's the that's you can read the entire Doomsday Clock and get nothing from it, but read that one little paragraph and you're like, I want to see that. Forget all this crap. Where's this gonna be? Jeff Johns just like, listen, Marvel, take me back. They're being bad to me. But at least he gave himself a good timeline because based on three Jokers. He gave himself till 2030. Yeah. So at least we know by 20. Yeah, we have 10 years for me to hammer this out and kind of work it. Please, Marvel, make this happen. Disney, save me from this bullshit. I really hope Jeff Johns kind of like makes a jump over to Marvel and does something. uh, Because I I love him as a writer, but I feel like his new role as chief creative officer, like, 
he was done so dirty with all yeah. that stuff, and they took him off his books and everything. But he also <laughs> did not make the best choices a lot. He, when you put him in charge of everything, like his ideas having to span out through the entire universe, yeah. I feel like they they treated him too much as a golden child. And then the new Fifty Two, and it's just like, oh, let's. let's I will. Have him I will say, Scott Jeff Snyder John has like had it. has shown a great ability to revive titles with his like encyclopedic yeah. knowledge of the DC universe. But when you apply it to the entire DC universe, you find he's faulting. Yeah, he knows individual titles in and out, but then when he tries to come I, up with something that has to stick for the entire universe, you start seeing flaws left and like right. Like Blackest Night. Yes. All right. And with All that, right. we're going to go on to our next one. And actually, I kind of want to jump over to the Marvel side. And that's now, where I was going with for that. For me, uh, Marvel didn't have so much of a bad year. It's actually one of the best years that Marvel's had in quite a f- little bit. Yeah. Like, And the stuff that was bad was not like bad. It was more like confusing and or just I don't give n- a shit. Unnecessary. Unnecessary, yeah. bloated, and other stuff like that. And I think, for me, my next uh, entry to the Jellicoe Ball where we see uh, kind of go with the Burning Man thing I don't know I'm kind of losing the cats analogy yeah. where they do their song and fucking dance is Nick Spencer's run on Amazing Spider-Man yeah. so far and, and here's the thing I've been a, the hugest proponent for freaking Amazing Spider-Man ever since um, they started picking up his pieces after like right off from the get-go where it turns out that thanks to this new um what was it plagiarism software? Yeah. It turns out that his grad student work was actually finished by Otto Octavius while he was inhabiting Spider-Man's body. So his work that got him his doctorate was declared invalid because they claimed that it was plagiarized by Otto Which Octavius. Which is work. such a good idea. It's so like, how do you make him not so much Parker Industries anymore and just kind of get him back to basics? And that, I felt like, is a really strong thing. And for the first, like, year or two, Actually, I think it was the first year, because it's only been going for two years. Yeah. But the first year, I was just like, all right, I think he's got a lot of good ideas. He's doing some cool things with the, the double Spider-Man. Like he the just, Spider-Man clone that wasn't really a clone. Yeah, he described it at Peter Parker, which is how you take away... Because everyone's wondering, like, how do you go from uh, CEO back to just typical Parker luck? And it's easy, like, he to, to avoid the Clone Wars, or to spare the new clone conspiracy, mm-hmm. he had to put Parker Industries in the crosshairs and lost all credibility there then the only credibility he had is he still had his degree that was taken away from him so he has to go back to school and start from scratch um the only thing and they gave him that kind of keeps him going is like his tie into mary jane although he did have some relationships in in the interim that were kind of interesting like him and mockingbird had like a nice little dynamic yeah that was in like the last volume i did like carly cooper as much shit as she got like i really liked Carly. well she was still in there as a character but she was no longer and she even kind of comes back a little bit in this yeah and also like there was the cop that he shacked up with with joe kelly's run yeah like that was a really cool thing too back in brand new day and then there's um his other roommate which is the boomerang which tied into uh the whole thing which uh, superior foes of Spider-Man, yeah. which is what Nick Spencer did, and it was so good. Now, I'm glad that you brought that up because my problem, basically, with Amazing Spider-Man, first of all, it has good story elements to it, like everything. Like this should be a classic run, but it's then sad. we have some things where it's just like he's treating with this with the same irreverence that he did with Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Yeah. You can do that with Superior Foes of Spider-Man because no one cares about those characters. Those characters might not even be around for as long as Spider-Man is, but for someone who's like Spider-Man and this is a main story and we should have real stakes to it, 
there are never really any stakes to any of the stories that are there. Sometimes Spider-Man gets the crap beat out of him and stuff, but I go back to the first time I realized there was a massive chink in the armor was actually around, like, Last Hunt, yeah. where he did the Craven story. And Craven the Hunter is, like... Like, first of all, J.M. DeMatteis did, like, the best Craven stories. Yes. And I'm the biggest J.M. DeMatteis fan as far as the Spider-Man work, even when he came back. Uh, the Soul the Hunter stuff. Anything he did following up on that, the Vermin, like, it was, like, that stuff, untouchable. But then Joe Casey also did something that was really good with the Gauntlet, where they brought Craven back, and it was pretty cool. But they never really figured out what to do with Craven. After so Nick that, Spencer yeah. was like, you know what? We're going to make this his last hunt. And we've got a whole Craven family. So when we do the whole Craven family, we're going to have Craven clone himself a million times, have those clones kill each other until there's only one left. So he created a bunch of clones of himself that hunted down his other stuff, and I'm like, this is really unnecessary. Like... See, I did not understand okay, well, like he, any of the points that he was trying to make well, with this. Well, here's the thing. I actually did like that, and I thought it was the most craven they could do because they've already done where he defeated the Spider-Man. So you have to keep in mind that there was part of the reason that this last hunt happened is it, it's one of those, and I kind of like how they played it later on, the tricks and the prophecy, saying that when he came back, he came back wrong because the wrong spider blood brought him back. And the only way he would get sweet, the sweet release of death that he was given before is through the spider. Only the spider can lead to his death. So he wanted to go out, but he knew he couldn't go out without leaving a legacy, which is very much in tune with um, Craven. So what he does is he knows his family's broken. He knows that with the gauntlet, that was a massive failure. The only one that's really left is Anna, and there's the whole thing about her being a mutant. And honestly, they're not touching the character. She's like kryptonite now. So he started a new family. He clones himself. He sends an entire family out to like go out and be the best Cravens they can be. Not counting that one of the Cravens was the actual heir to his blood, killed all the other ones. That's what he was hoping for, though. Like he, he, he was hoping for it. Well, he was hoping that they would. Like he, At first, he was kind of hoping that they, they would come back as all, like winners and stuff. But then he like realized that like when the only one came back, he's like, this is what it would be. Like If yeah. I put myself out there a million times, only one of me is coming back, and that one will be my son. Yeah, but what I'm, the point I'm trying to say is just, like, it's such a complicated way to go about it, and it's also a storyline that kind of came in from nowhere. Like, yeah, we saw like these other animal people getting hunted in the background, but then we saw the kindred. We had the boomerang kingpin thing. The kindred was just... And I feel like that was the thing that was the least on my mind was following up on these animals. And then all of a sudden we had a big event. And that's even last year. So this isn't even applicable to 2019. But when we started off the year, we get like this big kindred story. (sighs) That goes nowhere. That goes nowhere. And it's perpetually in the background. And we still get like teases of boomerang and kingpin doing stuff. And that's also perpetually in the background, even though it's not interesting. I will say. And it's not like a good version of the Kingpin. It's too jokey. It's too hokey. Yeah. And everything they're doing, like, there's, like, it goes from super jokey to super dark with the Kindred. And the only thing that was keeping me interested in the Kindred was I was like, there's only one person this can be. It's intimidating the Kingpin. It is someone that, like, has a connection to, like, Peter Parker's inner circle. Like, as far as I could tell, the only one that I wanted to be and the only one that made sense for me to be was Ned Leeds. Yeah. But then they, they did the flashback during the Absolute Carnage tie-in 
Where it was just like, no, it has to be from like one of Peter's friend circle back when Norman was going crazy before he killed Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Like, and Harry was in a drug overdose. And it's it's just like, making it seem like it's Harry. Harry. Yeah, it's really leaning towards Harry, but at the same time, they just announced that they're coming out with a Gwen Stacy five-issue limited series kind of getting her back into our brains. It might be Gwen Stacy. I don't know. Like, everything uh, that's leading up if to it's, it... If it turns out to be Gwen Stacy... It's gonna be worse than when they did, um, when they did Sins of the Past. Yeah. Because now you're twisting the. They already got mad when the idea that she wasn't as pure as they made her out to be, but turning her into a villain is gonna have. It's like when they brought Bucky back as Winter Soldier. Everyone was like, "Yeah." But no, then actually, it turned out to, no, 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 with no. Like I'm saying, like it, it's, it's gonna but be. But this like, doesn't. It's make gonna any be sense. like an inverted thing because when everyone's like, oh, and it's like, oh, he's a villain. That makes sense. Character, but character-wise, bringing back yeah. Gwen because apparently she died and she's in hell. That's the logic of Kid. Yeah, and, and we talked about this before because uh, uh, in the future we actually record an episode uh, not too far down the pipeline where we're going to be talking about Sins Pass and the, the Stacy Twins. That was a story that fit perfectly into this era. Yeah, and it's something that is unjustly justly maligned. Like when you hear us talk about it, like we are big, big stands of the uh, Sins Pass storyline yeah. because it was executed so well. But this seems like. They're going back to that same well. He's dipping back in that same well, and, and it just doesn't. In the well. It doesn't make any sense. But the biggest crime is just like the Tom King thing, where it never seems to have any momentum to it. Yeah, the momentum we, keeps stalling. Like uh, we learn a little bit about uh, Kindred, and we're like, okay, this is going somewhere. He's like Mysterio knows who he is. Mysterio's scared of him, and then it jumps straight into a boomerang story. And then from there, it goes to Absolute Carnage, where we learn more about Kindred, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe we're learning more, but I don't think I Not like enough. This. And then after that, we're currently, like, just reaching the end of a 2099 storyline, which is not seeded anywhere before this. No. It is completely disrupted to the flow of the story itself. It's only- and it's like a huge failed just like relaunch of the 29 universe that i can't even wrap my head around it's only tied into the because they released the the anniversary of 2999 came up yeah and they're releasing a bunch of um one shots tied different characters so they're like but this all started with the spider-man universe so we have to do something to tie into it and the thing is that the the storyline that's tied into there is not the same timeline that's being presented because this is a new 2099 universe so again, it's a huge departure to me. This is Marvel doing what they did with the Red Hulk. It was supposed to be like a six-issue mm-hmm. reveal, and they dragged it on. By the time they revealed it, one almost everyone figured out who it was, and we're already kind of like, you should have just told us issue six because yep. now it's like you dragged it on. We know who it is, and we're disappointed with the reveal because it's like everyone should have figured out who it is by now. Yep. There's only one person left that it could be, and the only reason that it, we think it might not be is because his mustache disappears. When he becomes the Hulk. Yeah. That was it. Um, and this is the same thing. It's going to be a long, drawn-out reveal, and they're going to show it. And no matter who's behind the Kindred mask, you're not going to be, like, happy. For starters, we still don't even know what he can do. Other than, like, control he bugs. controls uh, centipedes and okay. controls nightmares. And he knows enough about Peter to know that Peter is Spider-Man. And, like, he's, he has a creepy fixation And he was established as a him. Like, yeah. like everyone calls it him. Mysterio refers to uh, the centipede demon Kindred as him. Yeah. But it seems like it might be Gwen Stacy still. So it's just like if they go that route where they do like a weird gender psych out. It's the jackal. Like that's even worse. It's the jackal. 
That's, oh, Miles Warner was kind of peeking in. No, no, th- this is the original Miles Warner. The other one was a clone that's been doing this whole thing. Oh, the original God. Miles Warner went to hell and came back. This is so stupid. I, I, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing intelligent it's about. Still this. better than bringing back Harry. <sighs> so, so yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man. Like as much as I liked it, and honestly, I liked the Last Hunt, and I thought the whole purpose of Last Hunt, as much as out there as it was to me, was to basically bring. A, a Craven back without the baggage because ever since Gauntlet, no one's been sure how to approach Craven. But here's the thing: you're trying to bring Craven back without the baggage. Which how much is. explaining do you have to do to justify, like, explain who this new Craven is? The storyline. That was it. That, that you're gonna say this? Oh yeah. Well, this new Craven is actually the generic son of the real Craven who uh, hunted down his entire family of clones and then killed his dad because of. Oh, yeah, because there's Mar- so much shit you have to say. There's there's baggage. Yeah, because Marvel's never you put more baggage. Like Al Craven from Get Craven had less baggage to explain the jump from this okay. than this new. Can one. we point out that they've always given Craven baggage? Mephisto made a uh, not Mephisto. Sinister made a clone of Craven, Craven with an X, who who was a mutant Craven. Craven has never had the only thing that's ever been pure about Craven was the last hunt. Where, like, he he took out Spider-Man and replaced Spider-Man and it offed himself. Ever since then... That wasn't the last time. I'm sorry, what was, uh, what was it? The That was uh, Craven's first time. First. Now, last time, he decides, like, there's only one way. The spider must be the thing that kills me. So he dresses up like Spider-Man has his son kill him by accident. Okay. So his son thinks he's killing Spider-Man, but he yeah. really he's killing his dad. Now he's just like, finally, I have peace. Yeah. So, I mean, Craven's always had a convoluted storyline. So now this one is like... We have this dude, he's the Omega Craven. He's the most Craven Craven you can get, but he's a clone. Ah, oh, but you have to describe so much to understand him. Like, I, it, it makes my head turn every oh, time I'm thinking about him, but I know there's going to be Because Spider-Man and clone stories never happen. Ever. No, I really like the clone stories. But I'm just saying, it's like one more clone to add to the Spider-Man clone dish. <sighs> just, just let it go. It's not a bad Craven, and it was a pretty decent storyline. It actually introduced a lot of second-tier characters. It made the Vulture more of a Vulture again. Way better than he did during like, now, that's what I Zimmerman's run, yeah. where he was the, that cranky old man. Or even Mark Wade when he tried to recreate the, the next uh, Vulture. Yeah. Like that Vulture that vomits acid. Acid, which no, still went nowhere. I, I don't get why. Which I think the that. Punisher ended up killing him during Rick Remender's run or something. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they made the Vulture a threat again. Like, the last hunt did what it was supposed to. It revamped some characters in his storyline, and it gave Spider-Man, you know, some actual issue. Like, like they make the lizard more, like, a more of a char- uh, supporting character now that he's, like, living underground yeah. in his storyline. So, like, there was good character development in there. But still, it's always getting interrupted. So, I guess, like, the thing that makes Amazing Spider-Man, like, top of the list of the stuff that we want to burn or make us burn when we read it is because like every time they come up with a good idea they stall on it they stall every single time it feels like nothing matters and I don't care I don't care because nothing matters because it seems like the creative team is just kind of stalling for issue 50 I would like to use that to segue to my next point of things that don't matter and it's also in the Marvel Universe okay Okay. we're getting there huh alright the Iron Man storyline this year that's literally what you just said Except they didn't stall. They've just been dwelling on this concept. It's literally a year of Iron Man goes emo. Because for those of you that have been following Iron Man, despite how awesome oh, he's been doing... Oh, there's Dan Slott. Yeah. And I think uh, Valerio Shitty or... Um, you see the one that uh, is doing the art on this one? 
but it's really good artwork. Yes. It's really good artwork. It's actually, like, this guy has actually become, like, kind of like an Eminem acolyte. Here's, here's the thing. Actually, as far, visually, it's one of the best, like, Iron Man things. Because it's, it started off so great. So, just giving you a quick recap so you can jump into it. Um, ever since Civil War II, Iron Man was killed. Um, and he was in a pod. And the whole thing is, there was this whole thing that Iron Man is evolving. He is becoming something more than human. So when he pops up out of this pod, he's just Iron Man. Like he, Tony Stark, super smart, but nothing. It's not like when he had Extremis and he had the ability to communicate with machines. He's just Iron Man. So he starts off doing what Tony would do. He opens up his business. He restarts the Stark research thing. And it's actually the first couple of issues... Um, he's hiring this one dude who's like just this old dude that was really good in his field but has like since been blown away and it's like but you write really good like uh, you do really good work and then he walks in and there's like flying Iron Man and like this crazy VR thing and he's like dude I'm out of my element he's like dude just do what you do best I hired you for a reason and there's this whole back and forth that this guy doesn't think that he belongs in Iron Man's world and Iron Man like keeps bringing him in then there's like Machine Man and Jocasta are supporting characters and yeah. they're in a Which relationship together. Which I didn't think together. was a bad idea. No, I, I honestly love how they It's also very this... much a Dan Slot like crowd yeah, they... the character with everything, every idea you can. Like Dan Slot suffers from having too many ideas. Yeah, so they He's brought the all... best plot man. But someone needs to do his scripting for him. Well, that, that was the problem is they brought all these characters together and then the running theme in there is that more and more Iron Man is convinced or Tony Stark is convinced that he's not actually Iron Man. But instead, a really advanced AI that has copied the biological blueprint of Tony Stark. So he's nothing more than Friday in a Tony Stark suit. And it starts messing with his confidence. So as threats come out like Ultron and stuff like that, he realizes that he's no different than Ultron, except he just doesn't want to blow up the world. Yeah. And it becomes a detriment to Iron Man. Which again, that started when they retroactively retconned Iron Man as no longer being the biological son of the Starks but instead the one that they adopted because their son Arnold Stark was they actually had to give him up because he was destined to be this like celestial savior so this whole year has been a shift from like reducing Iron Man's role in comics as he's blowing up in the movie theaters including his swan song in the movie theaters and replacing him with Arnold Stark which they just put the nail in the coffin actually last week and have now can't, like ended the Iron Man series leading up to Iron Man 2020 mm-hmm. where Arnold Stark takes over and Iron Man makes this confession against spoilers um, that he's nothing more than an AI and so Arnold Stark says well since you're an AI you're technically property of Stark and since Stark is no longer alive I'm the Stark that owns it I own you and so like Tony, uh, Arnold Stark takes over everything which we know that this is a revamped version of essentially um, a megalomaniac Iron Man because that's when when he was introduced in the original as the Iron Man of 2020 he was the crazed descendant of Tony Stark who like shot the bed and tried to like kill everyone so now they're slowly making like the rise of Arnold Stark to the fall and it just for again for for the people that are in the MCU and Tony Stark as great as he is as a, of a character they're just not doing him justice by making him question whether or not he's the actual Tony Stark and then removing, like, more and more, they're just taking away everything that made Tony Stark Tony Stark. Yeah. He's no longer technically a Stark. 
He's no longer technically human. Which, by the way, they do every single every Tony time. Stark run. And it was only done really well with Matt Fraction. Yeah. And they keep going back to the well with this. They made the Superior Iron Man. They kind of took everything well, away they, they from it so many times, like, like Every single series, like, Tony you, Stark has to die. Do you remember the one where... Brian like, Bendis killed him, so, like, Ironheart can come back. A while back, they had, um... This was, like, after the first Civil War, where he was, like, out of his freaking mind. Um, they had him reboot his brain. That was the Matt Fraction. From, from Yeah. That but, was leading but, in a siege. But it was... It was a damaged drive, so some of his memories were gone. So, yeah. they didn't get the jerk... Um, Tony Stark they got like a Tony Stark with gaps in his memory that was like and that's what led into the Kieran Gillen yeah. run that introduced the idea that hey Tony Stark is not Anthony Stark's yeah. or, or wait uh, what's his dad's name to- uh, Howard Stark Howard Stark's kid like he's actually adopted or created or and that was like, like all which is which no, no, is the thing a, that kind of kicked was a, off this he horror. was adopted because what happened is the Starks came in and like there was this whole cl- celestial storyline that their son was going to be this weapon and so they had to give up their son, but they still needed a son to fill in that role. So they got Tony, which the only thing that that kind of did was explain the whole thing of Howard Stark not being close with Tony because Tony technically wasn't was always son. just a lab experiment. Yeah. And so that was the only good thing that it did character wise. But then it made Tony Stark spiral into like the emo thing. And other yeah. than Demon in a Bottle, it is never good when Tony gets emo because his characterization always gets bad. And inevitably, he gets rebooted somewhere along the line, either by a teenager, a broken hard drive, or some kind of celestial pod. They just need to write Iron Man well. And And with that one, we're going to go ahead and put a pin in Iron Man and jump onto our last one before we jump back to DC. Uh, Because I know we have at least like one or two over in DC that we want to hit on pretty quick. But absolute carnage. Yes. And I will tell you this. It wasn't a bad story yeah it's not a it it, it doesn't burn it doesn't burn it just stings you in the end what really sucks is that this event with all the tie-ins had like 130 like seven separate issues that went into it and all it was was the lead up to the confrontation we never got to see null come down even though the whole thing should have been like Venom's conjuring Null and Null's going to come out and bring the death of the universe. That's what this whole thing sounded like it was going to be. And then it just ended. And the big surprise was, hey, Venom was the one that actually activated the codexes. So Null's coming to Earth. And we see Null riding this big badass symbiote dragon. Surrounded but that's by in other like, flying symbiotes. That's in the last like six pages of the series. So everything was just to be like, you couldn't have done this? In the main series. You brought this out for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, making it Absolute Carnage... Uh, it, absolute Carnage kind of reads more like the road to whatever yeah, the no the, war. Yeah, like the road to Civil War. Yeah. Like, if we took the road to Civil War, and instead of making Civil War the event, we just did Spider-Man becoming the Iron Spider yeah. is the main event, and then afterwards, like, yeah, we'll just fucking kill Captain America. Yeah. So, I yeah, mean, they all wore in the background. It's cool. So that was the big thing. Is like all this hype. Like Carnage is becoming all powerful. How is Venom gonna beat him? And you, I mean, you get to see everything cool from the uh, the Hulk actually getting infected by a symbiote and becoming like Venom Hulk. Yeah. Um. Car. Uh. Eddie Brock getting um the codexes and becoming a one man Avenger team. Mm-hmm. Um. Even Sleeper is brought back. There's everyone that's ever worn a symbiote. The tie-in storylines weren't so bad, but they went nowhere. There was the whole Miles Morales where he's able to control the symbiote thanks to, like, his shock power. But that went nowhere because I thought that was going to be a major plot point and that got dropped. There's the absolute carnage with the Defenders 
which were involved. All that was was a shout out to Maximum Carnage because all of them were involved in that. And there was the whole thing where Shriek gets killed but gets possessed by the spirit of the demo, uh, the demon was it Dema Goblin? Yeah. So she's the new Dema Goblin with Shriek's powers. Like a lot of great pieces to just be like da da da, and there's more. Yeah. And by the way, stay tuned because next year, <laughs> shit gets real. And I'm like, like no, it should have gotten real right here. Like, like you've been saying that this gets real. There shouldn't be this many tie-ins to something that's not it was actually the in a biggest, event. most biggest letdown, fake out, like waste of money. Like it shouldn't. It should have just been like a six issue, seven issue, well, eight issue. Because with all the pages, this easily fit into. The well, here's the thing. I really thought that if they dropped a lot of the tie-ins, and just streamlined it into the main book. And then made it a 12-issue series. They could have done. The first half would have been set up for Carnage. The next half would have been Null. And then, you know, however he comes out. But now it's like, no, this is all a big, big commercial to read more Venom. Venom Island. Which, by the way, you know what it reminds me of? And since it is the season, Christmas Story. When he gets that freaking Dakota ring. And he's like, this is going to save the universe. And it's like, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. A crummy commercial. (laughs) What the like, that's what this is. It's like, this is just one giant commercial to another Venom event, Venom Island, which is probably still not going to have anything to do with Null. But it will probably be good. Yeah. But it, it's such a disappointment. No, and because now- it, it, is, it is, especially because they, they tailored this as, like, a follow-up to Maximum Carnage and Carnage USA, which both, in and of its own right, really set up the scale of, like, what Carnage can do. And now it's just like, eh. Yeah, but like we said, like, the Marvel side, I've read a lot of Marvel. I wasn't so much like, oh, this burns. It was more like, a, I don't care about these things, or it was really disappointing. Yeah. Um. So it's like the Marvel side, like, for all intents and purposes, I feel like C.B. Sobolski, since he stepped up into the editor-in-chief role, like, he's been having some really, really strong hits coming out yeah. of there. And they also have some stuff together. Now, we'll see how Empire shakes out next year, because I'm not interested in that or incoming, but I really did love that Marvel 1000 where they had the one-page yeah. stories, and that's really good. So I'm like, this is like the first time in a long time. This is like the first year of this podcast, but it's just like Marvel had so many missteps previously, and yeah. I was just like, the stuff that they're misstepping is just like, I don't care. When is there going to be a creative change? Like, it's not like I'm actively rallying to get Nick Spencer taken off Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Or, like, I feel like it was more of an editorial thing from the editors of the Venom like family which is also the editors of the spider-man family go figure that made absolute carnage the biggest thing that there was and also like the tony stark thing yeah it still gave us great storylines it's just the overall arc that the character is going through is somewhat disappointing there was nothing and it was a spectacular failure and it's not breaking new ground because they've done they've done tony stark identity themselves and just all the only difference is replaced this time with how much technology can I upgrade myself before I become less of a human to how much human am I if I was brought back as an AI? So it, it's, you know, just two sides of the same coin, essentially. Yep. So, but it's, again, none of it was just, none of it was just like a massive failure. It just stung a little bit because mm-hmm. like, you expected more from it. And uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump back over to DC. Where there were burnings. And there failure. were some burnings, but before we get to like a real burning uh, oh, I got talk, one save for the end. Let's talk Aquaman. Okay. Because that was that was more along the line of a ah, this is just tired. It, it's it's this is the exact same problem that I had with the Iron Man storyline. Yeah. Which is again, it's like there's some real character development coming. Let's pump the brakes and you know, literally just freaking 
go off road for a while. Let's have a really tired story. Which, by the way, this is Kelly Sue DeConnick is writing this. This should not be boring. So Kelly Sue DeConnick is not a boring writer. So prior to this, Aquaman is running the undersea kingdom of Atlantis. He is basically like trying to bro- uh, broker peace between the kingdoms under the sea and the humans because they've been at war and there's like this whole conspiracy where the government's trying to mess with the Atlanteans and blame the Atlanteans. The Atlanteans are trying to blow up the earth because they're tired of, be- of dealing with pollution and Aquaman's keeping the peace. Meanwhile, character development, he's officially with Mara and they're about they're, they're about to have a baby. So all of these things are falling into place and we're finally going to see a Aquaman that's maturing. And what winds up happening is there's a drowned earth event where these old gods from, you know, ancient times that were long lost, forgotten, came back, wanted to destroy the Earth as punishment because the guy that locked them away was based on Earth and he betrayed them. So they do all this, they amp up Aquaman's power level to an unheard of ability, and then at the end of it, he's washed up on a beach, doesn't remember who he is. So classical trope, he's got amnesia, and he settles on this um, this place and starts protecting denizens as more and more threats from the sea come up. Despite the fact that, again, he's amne- like he, ha- he has no memory of who he actually is, just what he can do, which technically has been done before. And Now, is it executed better than Rick Grayson, though? Yes, it is, because at the end of it, you still care about it, because he's still like learning. And then there's the whole... It's just very tired. It is very tired, but, but like you get to hear the whole thing of like Mara slowly but surely finding out that he's there and in in true fashion she's angry not like because she thinks that he actually just abandoned her so there's that whole like storyline that's still getting resolved um it's just very tired because the character was actually going somewhere and they just full-on pulled the brakes and now he's back to like relearning how to be aquaman and all of this is just leading to status quo And, and that's honestly aquaman's nature every time they try to push him to the point where he'd be a king and have like the family and move forward they pull the brakes whether it's they kill his kid his kingdom is overtaken the people of atlantis blame him for sinking atlantis i mean his it's the same thing that they do with iron man where it's like the character can never stand to be like to get an actual progression there's a certain point where like all right stop we have to reset Aquaman again and make him like make people like him all over again. When it's like they never stopped liking him, mm. they just you know they just never they never got to see him progress. Yeah, and so now we get on to our bad boy McCavity Cat. Yes. Of the entire year, the 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 one that looms over heaviest on everything because this was supposed to be the thing that changed so much, but really only accomplished fucking over everything it touched. Before I get to my own personal Dinkleberg, which is what I call Tom King now. Dingleberry? No, Dinkleberg from, like, um, Fairly Odd Parents. Dinkleberg! Every time you say Tom King. See, I thought you said Dingleberry like he was a little tiny piece of paper that tied your ass hairs together. I mean, every time you pooped it would, like, cut it in half. He's like a slice of cheese. I was gonna say, there was one. another quick one, is JL Odyssey, which I felt was kind of unnecessary. It spun out of the whole No Justice storyline. And it took the idea of putting Asriel, Cyborg, and Starfire as a team in space, which is not a bad lineup. And what really sucked about it is there was the whole... There was actually an original pitch where they were just going to fight slave traders, which would have actually done more for Starfire's character. And then inevitably led into a confrontation with Darkseid, 
who pretends to be there to help him but isn't really. They scrapped all that and just made it specifically. They go to a different planet, meet Darkseid. You know Darkseid's evil. You know he's going to betray him. Let's stall that out for 12 issues until finally he does it. And it was one of those things where the series could have probably done a lot more. And that was James Tinian was the guy who was running so the that, show on Odyssey, right? So honestly, that was just like, how could we that take... That was Darkseid's uh, team. Yeah. How, how could we take these characters and just write a story and stall it out? And that's what I felt like it didn't really... It took too long to accomplish what it meant to do. And that was my, probably my biggest gripe about it. But now let's get back to our... Uh, and this is where I sit back and I just let Bruno froth at the mouth. Yes, I, I've been waiting to do this all Because year. I will tell you this. Like, you know, I'll, I, I actually kind of liked this. Don't, don't fucking only, say it. Only in the aspect, it was just like, when you watch something like Cats, where you can tell everyone gave 110% in everything that they did, but it just fell apart so hard like the choices that were made were just not good choices and it's no one's fault except for tom king's like the guy who was steering this ship and also the editor who could have jumped in at any time and been like that's kind of fucked up let's not do this it's a beautiful train like train crash beautiful train crash but it's like a beautiful train crash where the conductor sees the train has enough time to hit the brakes and he's like no fuck it full speed ahead it does have good writing it does, in spots, have good characterization, but it's also undone by the fact that Tom King doesn't know how to not, like, just if you w- suck his own ass. If you want to talk about a book that can't stick the landing, this is that book. Go here's for the it, thing. Here's the thing. I will give credit, as much as I hate Tom King, with a fiery passion, because I have such reverence for the character that he besmirched. Um, I will say that the characterization was really on point having these heroes having the concept of these heroes have this sanctuary such a good idea where they go and essentially it's like their version of like heroes anonymous and they unburden themselves because i mean these are people that have seen like their loved ones die train crash like they've been there through rubbles where like things blow up like to us we read the comic book but you don't think about the collateral damage that they've witnessed and this is something that's actually i think first seeded back in war of jokes and riddles yeah where it's just like, oh, yeah. Because uh, it was like, the whole thing was Batman's kind of like laying down, telling the story to Catwoman after they're like kind of falling back in love. And he's getting like text messages about Sanctuary and he's about to put Poison Ivy in Sanctuary or whatever. Like, there's like a lot of stuff that was seeded directly from Warren Jokes and Riddles, which we've already covered is a storyline that shouldn't have worked. Yeah. But it worked. And it's just like, you can see where Tom King is just like, he is such a genius that he pulled that off, but just one misstep. And then none of this would have worked. Well, the the reason that it And then we kind of get over to Heroes in Crisis, and then we start seeing, like, a version of Tom King that's, like, basically writing the same kind of story that he was in War of Jokes and Riddles, but it doesn't work. Well, here's the problem. With War of Jokes and Riddles, he had a straightforward premise. He had the Joker versus the Riddler, and the characterizations were on point, including little-known characters. Like, they gave Kite Man a great background. And actually made Which, him by relevant. The way, Sanctuary, they did the same thing with it. A lot of little known characters, they had their interludes and everything. And, yeah, and it was structured the same way as War of Jokes and Riddles. The problem with the thing is that War of Jokes and Riddles was like one event that we already knew what was going to happen. And this is like the fallout of it and how the characters related to it. So he kept the characterization and he wrote it towards what the action was and the impact was. The problem with this one is he framed it as a mystery. Mm-hmm. And they dragged it the hell off for too long. And that's the thing, with when you have something 
that is a mystery that affects the entire DC universe, which it did, because a lot of the characters... You don't have cute interludes. You don't have cute interludes. You don't have that, because every time that they would have an issue and it doesn't lead anywhere, you have to wonder, like, what does that mean for the characters in the book? And here's the thing. He started off with, and I get this, and this is very much the same thing as Walking Dead. Again, the same problem. The entire premise for this storyline, which one of these characters is going to die? And he would show you a list of all the different characters, these C-list characters, and you're looking at them and you're like, well, that one is actually still important. That dude is in his own storyline. Like, Arsenal is still in, like, Red Hood and the Outlaws. So they're like, we can clearly see this guy's not going to die. All of them die. <laughs> and then the worst part of it is at the beginning of it, it's like all of them die. So what was the point of, like, who's going to die? All of them? That's not really a twist. That's just a bloodbath. Yeah. And also, like... Uh you said the whole premise is which one's gonna die. That's not really the premise of it. No, 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 no. It's that, that was as a PTSD story. No, no, but no, no, no. It's post traumatic stress. But in the back, you know how when you read like the the issues and you get like they would have like a teaser to the next big event. That's how they teased it. Yeah. It was a murder mystery. Which one of these is gonna die and who did it? And Tom Kent was just like, yeah, like I can't tell you, but one of those for sure is definitely going to happen then all of them is just like okay that was fucked up yeah and then you have Booster Gold fighting with Harley Quinn and Harley Quinn this annoys me more than anything like Booster spot on I love his Booster Gold mm. I want Tom King to write a Booster Gold story I love everything he writes about Booster Gold but when Ivy I mean not Ivy Harley, Harley. Quinn all she does is speak in rhymes yeah it's another like Tom Kingism. <laughs> like that Excuse Penguin me. story I talked about all Penguin did was like wax poet like read poetry for the entire thing yeah. we saw like that stupid like Russian folktale get dragged out all the way through Nightmare and through the end of City of Bane and then even then like every single thing like what was it Alfred in 84 when he finds out that Alfred's dead or was it 83 I don't fucking know they all bleed together all he does is read a poem like yeah. Harley speaks in poetry and it's not cute and it's not like and it's not in her character and either because she's also not, not like witty she's not poetic she's kooky and crazy yeah um I think honestly one of the best versions of Harley I ever read was in the Injustice where they got a, like the Injustice comic book where they got her spot on where she was crazy but like she's like I'm not that crazy though so m my biggest thing was that, that initially the hype to this was like this is an event that's going to change everyone a hero's going to die and i'm looking at it and i'm like which hero could they take off that would matter that much and you're thinking this is going to be kind of like when they killed you know impulse and I'll, admittedly not a lot of people care but he was like the flash at that point and like there was a whole thing and it's like well this is going to be something that's going to be a big thing because not only did they kill him but they killed him in a safe place where the heroes guaranteed these people safety that's the important thing no you find out that they're all dead and the worst part is, you're looking at this and you're like, how do you explain it? And once again, this is not the first time that DC did this, and we will be getting to this, but DC shot the bed because they claim that they have the world's greatest detective on there, and yet nobody was able to figure out the cause of death. Mm -hmm. They all portrayed it to be this, like, oh, they're dead. No one explained or tried to figure out what the cause of death is. There's only one other time, to my knowledge, that they've done that and were so wrong, which was freaking identity crisis where it was pretty obvious that they were barking up the wrong tree from the get-go because nothing of what they were looking for matched the guy's mo and this was the same thing here's the big spoiler after all these long issues of waiting to figure out and seeing all of these heroes empty their soul we get one long issue that does a tom king expedition exposition dump that's my big thing yeah 
And go for it, Bruno. Tell us All what right. happens. And the biggest thing that happens is it turns out, and we've been dreading it because basically by this ep- by by the time these issues coming, all the other characters have been listed as dead. Like in the in a suing like DC comic opinion things, like Lagoon Boy was confirmed dead, and, and like Aquaman, um, like all these other characters that have been confirmed as dead, like Agent Steel. Only ones that that were left out were Arsenal and Wally West. They're the only two that have not been referenced. And there's a storyline going on with Batman and the Flash called The Price. And you then find out that Arsenal is then confirmed to be dead. So the only suspect left is Wally West. And then they confirm that he's been dead. But here's where the big kicker is. This body is five days older than chronologically it should be. Mm. And it turns out... So it's from the future. So it's from the future. So it turns out there's a time travel story element pushed into this. And what it, what happened is uh, Wally West, throughout this whole thing, he's going to Sanctuary and he's trying to explain this loss. And he thinks that, that like this is all crap, that none of it's working. So he, in a moment of anger, phases through like Sanctuary and discovers their um like all the people's um different like oh, what the heck are they? their testimonials yeah and he absorbs all of that in a second so it's all of this suffering and pain and loss that's being outpoured by everybody and it ruins him like and also like wasn't he dealing with the fact that he remembers his family too well i was i was going to get to that um adding into the fact that the reason he's at Sanctuary, for those of you that haven't been following, is that when DC decided to do their new 52, certain characters were taken off the board and had to be reintroduced later because the new continuity wouldn't be a good fit. So, like, Cassandra Kane became the orphan, where you they had to figure out later that the reason she turned bad was because she was brainwashed by her father again, and this time they, they rescued her for good. Um, a lot of the legacy characters were gone. One of the main ones that was missing was Wally West, the Wally West that people know, um, you know, Ginger Redhead, and he was replaced with Wallace West, which was his cousin, who had the same name as him, but a slightly more ethnic variety, um, and not a lot of people like that version, because one, they could have just done an original character, and left the legacy of Wally West. Instead they wanted to toy around Instead they wanted to toy around with the idea of bringing back Kid Flash. So, through the concept of rebirth, um, Wally West escapes from the Speed Force. So now you have two Flashes running around. You have Barry Allen, the person that's holding the title of the Flash, and who most people refer to as the Flash, and this Flash that was lost in time. And as he connects with more people he knows, he gets back more of his memories. Then they did some weird thing where he traveled back in time to Titans, got a heart defect and couldn't run as fast because they basically proved that he was faster than Barry and they had to undo that. And in doing all of that, he remembers that he had not only a wife who he ran into but doesn't remember him, which was uh, Linda Park, but that he and her had kids together that were lost to the ethers. There's, they, they were with him into the Speed Force and only he came back out. So he has to remember that he's in a world that his wife doesn't remember who he is. Most of his friends just started remembering who he is. Um, and the um, the two kids that were the source of his happiness 
are gone. They're lost. And the only good thing they did is they kind of made it that Abracadabra had a huge hand in it, which tied it back to his world. But he's reeling from this because he's like, I'm in a world that's not my own. And it's like, what if none of this is real? And he's constantly debating. He's like, what's my role in this place if I don't have the first clue on what, how to get back what I lost? Yeah. Like Which, it, by the way, that that is encapsulating 100% like what this should be. Yeah. Like the whole PTSD thing. But... And and for what it's worth, like I thought that was done really, really the well. Biggest but prob- then the reveal. Well, the biggest problem with this is, is that all of the people's dramas, really, it, the PTSD should have been Wally. He should have been the spotlight yeah. from the get-go. But the idea that they had to keep it in the murder mystery thing, mm-hmm. who's behind this, ruined this it whole book. should not book. have been that. Because that was the big thing. Is like, well, who did it? Well, let's find out. And then it comes to find out that in the moment of absorbing everyone else's grief from like all these video logs that he uh, absorbed he um coped with his own ptsd he runs out of sanctuary and triggers an alarm and so everyone is like exiting because like at this point they're it's read like there was an attack on sanctuary so they all come out to see what's going on and as they do that his uh, speed force power erupts from him and the, the CW has done a really good job with showing that, like, speedsters can throw lightning, but they've never had it where lightning just flows out of them. They always have to run, catch it, and, and redirect it. But this time, a bolt of lightning literally blasts everyone that's alive in the vicinity of that thing and kills all of them Except for in Booster one shot. Except Harley. for Booster and Harley. Um, and so what he does... He does the next most logical thing. No, it's and that's where... This is where we get... This is where well, I'm thinking Tom King's logic. Yes, yeah, the most logical thing that Tom this is King where can me and it. Tom King, like, I would punch him in the face because, like, if I was sitting in that meeting and he tried to sell me on this, I would punch him because the biggest thing about Wally West and uh, was that when he was missing from the DC universe during this whole New Fifty Two, people were missing hope. He was supposed to be the symbol of hope and redemption because he was the fanboy. That became the superhero. When Barry died, he was still Kid Flash. He then took on the title of Flash. He grew into that role. Through Ev- Mark Wade's run, every- which I didn't read, but I read like bits and pieces of it. Everything that we've attributed to Barry as far as what is the Speed yeah. Force was actually Wally and retroactively been taken away and introduced in Barry's run. Yeah. Wally was the first one to mask making a costume out of pure Speed Force. He's the first one to figure out that you can steal people's speed. He's the first one to figure out what the Speed Force was. He was also the first one to ever run into the Speed Force and come back because he was grounded to the love of his life, Linda Park, and she brought him back in maximum velocity. All of this was tied into Wally West. He was the Flash. He was the fanboy that grew up and took the role. He never suffered any trauma. He just gained powers because he wanted them and was caught in the same accident that generated his idol. Um, So literally, like he he had a, a day with... Um, Iris, who was his aunt, took him to go see Barry Allen, who, t- who reveals himself to be the Flash. And he's like, oh, it happened just like this. I was standing in front of the chemicals, and a lightning bolt came. Retroactively, they said that lightning bolt was Barry Allen, because he controls the Speed Force. But Wally West was a character that's so in tune with the Speed Force, he's actually faster than Barry. Because while Barry may generate the Speed Force, Wally West is attuned to it. And so everything that from the rogue's calories, everything was Wally, Wally West. And then to all of a sudden... 
Like, they wrote him into a corner because he had a family, and they kind of gave him the storyline where the kids were powers were out of control. Once they stabilized it, they're like, we don't know what to do. It's the same thing with when Spider-Man got married. He's like, the next step is having kids. They gave him that, and they're like, now we don't know what to write. So they had to take him off the board. And when they brought him back, we're like, this is the start of them bringing back the legacy characters. This is going to be great. And what do they do? They make him, like, make the most illogical choice from a kid who always wants to do the right thing and be a hero because that's what he wanted to be oh when he killed everyone i've got the perfect plan i'm going to frame booster and harley put them back in their pods reset the memory and give them false memories i am going to take my body and then i'm going to capture a body from five days in the future and kill that so that i can die with everyone else like nothing about that plan made any sense other than the fact that they would never know that he did it when really it should have been about the fact that his loss was so great and went undiagnosed and unhelped that by the time they got him help, it was too late. He was that damage was done. Yeah, so it was <clears throat> a really good premise that was like mired in a murder mystery with Tom King logic. Because if anything we saw from City of Bane, it's just that he's really good at characters. The hints that he drops throughout his runs like are so obscure and almost don't matter. That's like, by the time it's revealed, it's just like, what the hell are you talking about? By the time... And that was exactly what the thing was right here, too. Well, by the time it was revealed, we all... All the characters were listed as dead, except for Wally. So we knew Wally had to be involved. And then when they threw the thing that Wally was Wally from five days in the future, why did that happen? Why? What the hell? Now, as a counterpoint, pointing out that this takes place within a universe, and it's not just someone that someone wrote, you have the world's greatest detective... You have Superman, and you have Barry on the Flash all involved in Heroes in Crisis. None of them realize that the characters were killed by lightning. One of them is literally generates Speed Force. He is the master of all things Speed Force. How did he not know that all the characters were killed by a bolt of pure Speed Force? Because they know what it is. They've registered it. They should have been able to figure out really quickly. The whole thing is... It's literally presented as like this mystery happened and we don't have the foggiest idea what occurred. And the only one that does know about it has some weird convoluted plan to fix everything for everyone else and then kill himself. Yeah, by like also ruining Harley Quinn's life and Booster Gold. Yeah, life and, and framing two people that he knows are innocent in the process. And I could even understand where he would try to frame Harley because in his mind, the only memories he has she's of her is she's a villain. I mean, and they had Poison Ivy there too and she got like killed but brought back because she's poison ivy so like the idea of him framing a villain wasn't the worst idea but booster gold he knows is a hero he's hung out with booster gold so to blame booster gold and like it would turn booster gold from kind of an incompetent hero which is what everyone thinks he is to a straight up like he lost it he's yeah. gone mad with they're power. trying to maxwell lord him yeah and it's it was it was a really awful un like it's almost like they he was like this is a really cool idea we're going to make it Wally. And no one at the meeting said, like, that's a stupid idea. They're like, that's brilliant because we don't know what the fuck to do with him. Yeah. But and I tell you what, though, like, I, as far as the PTSD storyline goes, like, if it would have just been that, I would have loved it. But it's such a beautiful mess. Even has, like, stuff from Lee Weeks comes in to do uh, little parts of it. And I love Lee Weeks. I love Clay Man. I've been a fan of Clay Man since he was doing X-Men stuff over at Marvel. And I'm glad that he's kind of seen his due. And f- this is such like a tedious slog and it's even more so than his work on Batman because it was supposed to mean more 
than his work on Batman. Here's the thing, and, and the only saving, like, the, the only thing that sucks is literally the reveal of what happened. It's not even, like, the characterization is on point. Oh, you didn't like that it went seven issues before anything was well, even hinted at resolution? Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest problem, was, like, it dragged on too long, and it didn't even... It could have crammed everything in an oversized first issue. And the, the biggest thing would have been, because I like where it is now, where the the he's doing flash forward and he's basically well Tom King's not doing that That's no I know Lovell. but that that was the storyline because they said we promised that we're gonna unlike the three Jokers they promised they were gonna do something with with Wally and they're doing something so now he's going through the entire dark multiverse and trying to fix the multiverse the dark multiverse so he's gonna be tied into the infected but my biggest thing is it still doesn't explain why he thought it was a good idea to frame these people like that's the one thing that turned the story from like at the very least a decent story to like what the fuck are you thinking that's the tom king exposition it it was like like mystery plot point if they just had him explode like with energy kill all these people run into the future and try to fix it and realize that he can't and feel so guilty about it that he comes back and kills himself and then having them talk him out of it in five days which is kind of what happened, but they added in that extra layer that he came up with this perfect scheme using Barry's knowledge to hide everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. With that and, being said, Bruno, uh, I'm going to have to cut you off. Go, go. <laughs> I could, I could do this for hours. <laughs> we could have just done a whole new episode straight on this, which may be coming soon. We might not have to now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. There'll, there'll, there'll be another episode. Guys, I fell asleep during this. <laughs> Like, Bruno saw me with Google eyes on. You stayed awake during Cats. I don't want to hear that crap. <laughs> Watch it. I was like, yeah, Bruno, take the reins. Then I woke up. I'm, I was just like, oh, shit, we're a half hour into this. <laughs> Tom King. Tom King. You mean Tim King? Tim King. He gets King. his name back when he does something. Which, by the way, like, this is a testament to how, like, interesting a writer Tom King is. I still want to read Batman and Catwoman. I still want to read the fuck out of that. But I hate how Batman Nightmare in City of Bane went. I hate how, like, uh, uh, Heroes in Crisis went, but I still am so on board for Batman and Catwoman. Um, so with that being said, which one do we believe is the worst of the year? And Bruno, I will you let you go first. Ask? What is it? It's freaking Heroes in Crisis. I'm also Heroes in Crisis. It killed Wally. I'm Heroes in Crisis all the way, too. It hurt my boy. Like, there's no, there's no other one that did such a disservice to a City character. City of Bane is really up there. But the fact is that we've got two from such a good writer that fell apart at the end. I feel like the only thing that we can take away from this one is that, Tom King, please do not do any mysteries anymore. You're so good at hitting humanist notes. Stay with the human notes. Stop trying to complicate it too much with all this other stuff. Like, I know you're such a... You're, like, one of my favorite writers at the time. Like, your stuff on Vision. Your stuff on Sheriff of Babylon. I read your Mr. Miracle. I was there for your... Uh, God damn, I can't remember what his name is. That one Green Lantern that became Ion? Uh, Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner. The Kyle Rayner Omega story. Like, and all, like, first half of your Batman run up until, like, 54. So good and, like, great and damn near perfect. And then to just drop the ball this hard, it's it's reminiscent of Bruce Jones, like, fumbling at the end line when it came to his Hulk run. Which is another, like, one that went so well for so long, and then you're like, okay, when's it going to wrap up? And when it wrapped up, no one was satisfied at all. Let me, let me just, for future comic book references, there's, there's two rules that I would like to put out there. One, if you're going to do a murder mystery, keep it short. 
for the love of God, stop drawing out the storyline. And then you're not Watchmen. And, and then losing sight of what happened. Yeah, only Watchmen has ever been able to pull this off because. The, once once you start deviating so much from it, and then you have to piggyback your way back to it, people lose interest. Especially if you don't stick the landing. Or if you have clues that don't seem like they should be clues. Like, they're illogical clues to it. Well, the thing is, like, a lot of the times with these murder mysteries, they don't stick the landing. And then you look back on it, at the time, it might be a big, like, oh my god. But then when you look at it, those like, those clues don't line up. Identity Crisis had the same problem. The, like, the clues don't really line up. And you're like, but how did they not figure that out sooner? But it was also, like, two issues shorter. Yeah. And oh, no. I felt like it, it was, was written more engaging. It, it was it was more engaging as a series. But, again, if you look at it within the confines of a murder mystery, you're like, that fails at every level. Because, like, unless you're making the main characters bumbling, which point, why are you reading a murder mystery? It's like if the Hardy Boys were drunk. Because, yeah. again, these are characters that have discovered, like, Nothing about the superhero world should surprise him. Freaking Batman created a machine that could recreate a Batman, but yet he can't figure out what freaking speed force energy looks like when it comes out of someone. Yeah, I know. So, before we leave... Oh, sorry, there is a second rule. X-Men, stop making ages of storylines. That needs to stop. (laughs) Oh, we forgot to talk about ages of X-Men. We'll just kind of hit on it real quick. So, basically, before Jonathan Hickman came... Like, everyone knew that nothing was happening with X-Men. It actually was an editorial thing that came down. It was just like, listen, you can't change anything. So they just kind of, like, went through the motions and did what they could do. Age of X-Men came up. You read that one. Yeah. I started to read it, and I was just like, wait, it looks like they're rebooting everything. They are going to reboot it, but the biggest thing is, like, every time you put Age of in front of it, it's supposed to be, like, a new storyline and an alternate reality. This one tried to, like... Try to make it more... If they had just done, like, this is Age of X-Men, it's another st- a timeline, just like Age of X, just like Age of Apocalypse, and we're just going to undo it, cool. But this one was like, no, this is not a new timeline. It's a whole separate reality that we're created, and we're going to leave it lingering out there. But then, like, simultaneously, characters will exist in one that exists in the other. And it's just like, like it got too trippy. You're trying to, like, break new ground when you know that you're going to revamp everything yep. in just a few months. Why put in that level of effort? Or they're just trying to be like, you know what? As long as they're rebooting everything, at least we can have something that might be a pocket of what's left over from us. Yeah. Like, it's like more of a time capsule of what they have. But with that being said, Bruno. Let's go. Here's a crisis. It's the worst of the year. Oh, absolutely. Is it better than Cats? Damn. (laughs) No, because at least Cats had that annoying song jingle that ran throughout the entire song is that the one you're talking about yeah that, that yeah. little upbeat thing that they and just then that Mr. is one I really did like and also everyone gave 110% like it's hard for me to tell because everyone gave 110% in Here's for Crisis and it failed everyone gave 110% in uh, Cats and that failed I almost feel like but the characters were Cats stronger. Cats is better. Cats, is, Cats better. is better because the characters were stronger because they gave their all to the characters' performance. There was never one point in that movie where you're like, they're just sitting there like, when is this scene going to be over? Mm-hmm. Even Rebel Wilson, she's like, look, you're painting me as type. I'm going to play it as type. I'm not going to be any different than any Rebel Wilson performance you've ever seen. But that's still accurate to the character because she was like an indoor tabby cat. That, that trained roaches. That trained roaches and had way and too much free time. Did a bunch of stretches and showed yeah. us her gooch. Yeah. So I mean that all of that had good characterization. What the reason Heroes in Crisis doesn't stick the landing is because they set up all this great characterization, and then they're like, and hey, we're gonna make the guy have like the most nefarious evil thought, 
ever completely out of character. Because the whole time you're painting him the victim. Yeah. And then you made him the master. We always knew McCavity was going to be the bad guy. Yeah. And you knew you knew from the get go that McCavity was gonna was gonna be the bad guy. He wasn't gonna get what you want. And the choice for which one came in there that that one kind of threw me. But I was like, at first I thought it was Mistopheles, but then he got his redemption with his little magic thing where he was able to do it right. Then I thought it might have been Gus, but I was like, eh, he doesn't really have anything. He's just old. So, like, the one character that kept popping up that wound up meeting the sun um, was the one that got it. And I'm like, that that was good. But, like, again, Heroes in Crisis, it was, you made him, you made us feel for Wally. You got to see his inner struggle. And then you turn him into, like, a, a villain and it's not it's kind of like it was a cheap fake out it was so it, yeah let's go ahead and just put heroes in crisis in that weather balloon for now. let's go ahead and send them up into the sun with no sunscreen or food or water and hopefully it will be reincarnated in a new life that's well, it's called that we will hold very precious yeah that new life is called flash forward and i do recommend that it is actually a pretty okay. decent series and now before we leave we want to go ahead and talk about very briefly about our uh favorites so let's just go ahead and just list off lightning round style what were the things that you felt were the best of 2019 hands down hickman's run on x-men just house of x up. powers of x like i remember when it was coming out me and you bruno like i was messing because i think i read it before you i was like bro did you fucking read this one Everything changed. Mora's like the greatest mutant that's ever lived. Not only that, but it, it caught one of the biggest loopholes that have has always pissed me off, which was the legacy virus. Mm. It explained why she contracted the legacy virus. Because she was the first human to ever get the legacy virus, and that was specifically targeting mutants. And it drove me fucking crazy why she was the only human. What, because she was around them? She came mutant germs? But come to find out... Surprise, surprise, she's a fucking mutant. Mm -hmm. So it actually adds to the level of legacy virus because it still only attacked humans. House of X, Powers of X, big time recommend. Probably the best event of this year so far. And uh, actually, so far, it's over. Like, it was the defining moment of this year was the X-Men jumping over. But the new status quo that's coming out from this is amazing. Like, it just brings you in. Mm-hmm. All right. Next thing I want to bring up is if you're not reading Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky, there it is. You need to be reading Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. You are such a Daredevil fanboy. It's like listen, I I'm Daredevil all the way. I think even Andy Diggle's run it had its faults. I'm still there with it. Charles Soule's run kind of faltered at the end. Mark Wade's and Chris Somney and Javier Rodriguez's and uh, uh, Paulo Rodriguez, Paulo Rivera. This all-time favorite better than frank miller better than bendis like it's up there so daredevil is something that i hold very very special to me and i feel like what chip zadarsky is doing not only with daredevil but putting kingpin in a genuinely vulnerable state where you actually care about the kingpin and you could see the owl coming up he's not played for laughs or anything he's a like a real threat the owl and it's so well done i can't believe this is the same guy who gave us fucking spectacular spider-man which was a god-awful series, and then you see him coming up through, and it's like Chip Zdarsky, he, uh, he had a great year. Invaders, Spider-Man Life Story, I, which I, is another huge recommend, yes. but Daredevil is killing it for me. I will front. say that Kingpin is portrayed way better in Daredevil than he is in The Amazing Spider-Man. Because he's not portrayed at all in Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, it's he's a, a cartoon villain. Yeah. And uh, do you... Any more? Anymore. All right. Uh, uh, I can keep going with this. Um, the DC side... I definitely got to give it up to both uh, Batman, the the Batman Who Laughs, the, the miniseries that introduced us to the Grim Knight, which is one of the best takes on alternate versions of Batman. Um, then there it leads into Batman versus Superman, or Batman and Superman, I should say, and the storyline that's going on with the infected. That has definitely got my interest. It is tying into 
the Year of the Villain, which I already said before, uh, the Year of the Villain storyline. The Justice League storyline, like Nick said, it, you have to kind of see if you like it yourself, but every like issue for Year of the Villain, the like the annual issues, are worth it. The one from uh, Bane, the one for Lex Luthor, the one for Joker. You can't go wrong when you see Year of the Villain and like the annual and, and a villain below it. Like every one of those stories really brings out the best version of that villain that exists. Um, All right, and I've got one more too to to kind of add in before we wrap it up. Immortal Hulk. Yes. Dudes, that has not been ever boring. Like the entire time, I'm like Al Ewing. I think is like the next real big thing. Like Al Ewing and uh, Chip Zdarsky. Like just those two are really putting Marvel back on the map. But then you have Jonathan Hickman killing it over in X World, and then you got like other great writers kind of coming up from that. I feel like even the Avengers have actually been doing really well. No, I haven't read any of uh, Jason Aaron's Avengers, but I've been wanting to jump back into it. It's it's like the threads that they've been laying down have been really good with like the the war on Dracula, the war of realms, which was super cool. Yeah, that was actually and and here's the funny thing because it read like the Dark World, but like as an actual crossover. Yeah, but it it really brought all the characters into Asgard in a believable way. So there is a lot to love and be thankful about this year. We've heard the stuff that is really awful. I seriously just go back and pick them up you will be able to find most of this stuff in the back issue bin at your comic book shop because i have a feeling that every single one of these had readers just drop off yeah. non-stop um but definitely you have to read heroes in crisis to believe it and you may even like it but that just makes it so much harder when it sucks i do have to point out that dc the main storylines that like kind of faltered a bit or are still waiting for the payoff for some of them but some of their lesser like known properties one of them I'm, I'm still kind of sad because it took such a delay shazam with the introduction mm. especially because it's a nice companion to the movie as we find out because they introduced the magical lands they brought back um mr mind they brought back black adam all of them tied into this new world that they're establishing which if the sequel is anything to, that they're talking about takes from this i'm gonna love um also i think it started off as a series but now they're like making it a mini dial h for hero Mm. the whole trope of this. yeah it's supposed to be a 12 issue yeah so it, it actually did really well introducing like everyone who's worn the the h dial and introducing the new characters like and not just like they dial it but they all get a backstory so just listening to all these different superheroes that are created on the spot with their absurd backstory everything from like manga inspired heroes to like uber 90s villain like there's a dude yeah. that's power is a monster truck he's just a giant superhero monster truck so Again, DC has been doing really well with a lot of their sleeper hits, but most of their storylines are tied into these big, long, drawn-out storylines, which Justice League hasn't been working for you because it's so tied into Morrison's run, but I'm curious to see where the payoff it's is. It's tied into everything from Final Crisis all the way through Snyder's Batman run, and it's got so much but that's, baggage. But that's that because it DC work is right now trying to slowly bring back their timeline. Like, Doomsday Clock just finished. They and need they, to shit or get off the pot. Like. They, dude, they, they reintroduced Justice Society, which Jeff Johns actually says he, he's interested in writing again, and that was one of his best books. All right, good. So, it is, they are going forward, but. All, I, like I'm all for bad storylines, but if you spin the wheels like this, I lose interest. They I, they have been spinning yourself. the wheels, but I will tell you, like Marvel has been just hitting it out of the park. They have both been. on screen and off. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we leave, uh, this is actually going to be our last episode of 2019. Like yeah. uh, the, the last one we did, uh, Marvel. <laughs> it uh, died. Uh, Bill Jameis, the ghost that uh, will never let us. Uh, 
ever say anything nasty about anything he did, but really quick lightning impressions. It sucked. Go read it. It has to be read to be believed. You you won't think that anyone could have actually sold this as a comic book until you read it. Because he was the president of the company. Yeah. Like, because there's the only only reason he could have done like, it. Was like, the, the covers are probably what would sell you on it, but the covers have nothing to do with what's going on in the issue. And I swear, at some point, we will defy the Gemma's curse, and we will do a third one, because we care about you that much. To on Marvel, probably one of our lost episodes, to, I to, think. To flesh it out. But let's look forward at 2020. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. After we uh, come back from 2020, we're going to be getting into trouble with the Epic line, which is basically what Marvel kind of bled into. Then we're going to get into the Stacy Twins, the yep. saga of the Stacy Twins, where we're looking at Sin's past, when the Green Goblin, uh, the uh, Tommy Lee Jones Green Goblin, impregnated Gwen Stacy. Uh, we're also going to follow that thread through uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, the run with Sam Barnes. After they come back, uh, one more day is going to be tied into that as well. Uh, after that, we're wrapping it up with the American Sun storyline from Brand New Day. That we're jumping that, over to DC. That's where we get into basically Green Goblin's other power from the Goblin Sermon. Is impregnating is, everybody. Is super fertility. Yeah. And then we jump over, see J. Michael Straczynski's Superman run that uh, was st- Capped in the knees by the new 52. Then we jump over. He was over literally to, grounded. He really, literally is grounded. Actually, he was just like, ah, oh, fuck this. You're going to do new 52. I'm out of here. But then uh, we have Jim Lee and Brian Azzarello on Superman 4 Tomorrow, which leads into this whole new thing where we're looking at Frank Miller's Batman Dark Knight series, That's which right. only had two good installments. And it, the rest of it is what we're going to give you. So we got a lot of stuff planned, and eventually we're going to get into movie adaptations, and then we're all leading up to the big, bad, big, badass fuck daddy of all bad comics. Chuck motherfucking Austin is on the horizon for us in 2020. If you thought Zimmer Month was awful, just wait till you see Miller Time. Miller Time gets bad. I can't wait for Chuck Austin, dude. Dude, Chuck Austin is our, like, coup de gras. He's, he's going to be like, we, we should just quit after Chuck Austin. It's like, pff, drop the mic. We're like, we're I out mean, here. There, there's no way you can ever touch that level that consistently. He had to change his name in a creator-owned series <laughs> to get people to buy it. Yes. <laughs> Which yes, honestly was a joke uh, because he made a joke of it. But still, it was like a pretty good one. He was like the nicest guy that could not write. And he got put on everything from Avengers to X-Men. Mm-hmm. He did the Max line, breaking that in. He also did Captain America. Like, the extent of work that Chuck Austin put out in the small t- amount of time that he was, like, trusted as, like, the golden boy. Like, he was the greatest fill-in guy ever because he was so quick with everything he did, and we kind of find out where everything is. Yeah. But that's all on the horizon. So all those things that we just uh, listed out, it's going to be a very, very packed 2020. We've got everything in the pipeline for it. Uh, we're pretty far ahead, and uh, I apologize if you were following along, and then we kind of dipped off for a couple weeks. But in, in the future, because we are so far ahead in our stuff, you'll hear me start to complain about headaches. Don't worry, it's not a brain tumor. I had it's a, not a tumor. I had a pinched nerve in my neck that made it hard for me to look at a computer screen, which is essential <laughs> when I'm editing these things up. So I promise you, I've got it under control now. It's not 100% fixed. But now I'm kind of like editing the stuff, putting the stuff up more regularly, so it's going to be coming out better. And we are about 10 episodes ahead. So you're going to see this stuff starting to bang out, no problem. So in the meantime, guys, my name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And uh, we've already had our Feliz Navidad, so uh, uh, Happy New Year! 2020, baby! 2020! See you with trouble when we get into trouble. (laughs) Bye-bye!
Oh God, it burns.